Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. Technologist and AI enthusiast Hap Aziz is back in the studio for a quick check-in on where the human race stands with its future robot overlord. This episode is brought to you by Beside Yourself. Everywhere you turn, someone is trying to steal your identity. Can Beside Yourself keep your identity safe? No chance! So why don't we give you someone else's identity? Fight fire with fire! In the basic version of our service, we give you an identity from another one of our customers. We switch identities every 60 days, so no one really knows who you are. Order now, and our technicians will install a phone booth near your home. If it was secure enough for the Sopranos, it's secure enough for you. Beside yourself, open an account at toacertaindegree.com. The kick drums on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. That was their uh, song, Thinking Out Loud, which is pretty much the theme for this show. Uh, I do this every Monday. Good morning. My name is Nick Jorgadu, by the way. I do this every Monday uh, with a special guest, and this week's special guest is a returning guest. First time for that. Hap Aziz is here again. Hi. Good morning, Hap. Good morning, Nick. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. So we had, I was listening to our show from, I think it was September or October of 2016, uh, and it was funny because we basically, I ran out of time to talk to you about a lot of other things. That's so because we rambled on and on about we did. things. Yes. Yeah, it was a really good show. So if you have an opportunity, you can go back and listen to that at toacertaindegree.com. But uh, today we have a, a pretty special episode because what I'm doing for the month of December is sort of a, a look ahead, a look back at 2017, 2018. And there were some topics that I definitely wanted to cover with you being a... Uh, I don't know if uh, if you'll take the uh, label subject matter expert or at least subject matter uh, expert subject matter pontificator. There we go. That'll yes. be perfect. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we uh, that I am good at that I need to get better at is talking through things in order to come to a conclusion. And so I like to have people on who know things more things about it than I do. So whether it's sci-fi, whether it's uh, artificial intelligence, which we'll talk about, or things of that nature, like, I, you know, maybe I've already made up my mind on it, but I like to talk about it with somebody who knows a little bit more about it than I do or has a different perspective on it than I do so that I can figure things out for myself and talk through it. Sure, that makes sense, but it also is uh, fun to leave things open-ended. Of course, of course, yeah. So I won't completely come to all, all my conclusions today. Uh, but most of them, so I'm counting on the, you for The important that. ones. Yeah, not to put too much I'll, pressure. I'll tell you how to think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a teacher, so I think that's that's important. I'm kidding. That's not what teachers do. Uh, so let's go back for a minute. Uh, so what I used to do uh, was a game, uh, 20 questions, and I had a lot of different topics when you were on last. So I wanted right. to come up and talk to you about some of the more recent topics uh, that have come up since we last spoke. So we'll play the same game. I don't know if you remember it, Live or Learn. Right. Live is good. Everybody, I, I think, for the most part, loves living or likes it at the very least. Learning means uh, not necessarily a negative thing, but you just have to learn more about it. Maybe mm -hmm. you're not for it because you have to, uh, you don't know that much about it. I think one of the items was, and I'm hoping you learn more about it, was professional wrestling. Right. You were a solid learn on that. Yes. And I know by now you're totally into professional wrestling. Oh, especially since our, our president has a background in, in uh, wrestling. In so. that, you have to yes. kind of do some That's research right. mm -hmm. to, to do that. Very good. All right, so let's start Live or Learn voicemail. 
uh, live. Oh, you're for vo voicemail. Yes, because I don't uh, like to talk to people directly. Okay. So I'm, in fact, I'm I'm having to buffer our conversation so I don't feel like we're actually talking with each other. Right. Because right. I'm a I'm a big introvert, so voicemail is great. I can just leave a a thought bomb and then run, so to speak. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And for the listener, Hap is not facing me. He's actually in another room. I haven't actually seen him today, so I was a little surprised when I came on that he even spoke. There's a cardboard cutout of me. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that's what I'm speaking to because I need that prop. It's like a green screen type of situation. Mm -hmm. I still need the stand in. Right. But uh, I wasn't even sure if he was here. He's in an undisclosed location. That's how much of an introvert he is. That's right. I don't even know where I am. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so voicemail. Colonizing Mars. Um, live, definitely. So is that a literal live? Like we're as a species I, I would be there. is probably yes. not going to uh, go very far. Oh, you would go. I would go if I could. Go. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll send my resume to Elon Musk and you know go up there with his early adopters or whatever they're called. Do you want to? You can get in the car right now because apparently he's going to send yes, a he's car over there. He needs a driver for that car, right? <laughs> send a Tesla up there. What is it about? Uh, so you're a big sci-fi fan, and we'll talk a little yes. bit more about that. And I think that is. Uh, indicative of somebody who oftentimes wants to explore, wants to get out there. But what is it exactly about the idea of going to Mars that really uh, uh, pikes your curiosity and makes you want to go? Well, that's a tough question. There are actually so many things that I like about it. From from my childhood, my you know my boy's eyes, I look at it as being just an adventure, a grand adventure, mm -hmm. and that's something I think that humans need. We we can't just sit. You'll have people that say, well, we're throwing our throwing away our money in space, which we're really not. We're spending the money on Earth. We're employing lots of engineers and scientists and, and people to, to help propel us forward. But I think we need the dream. That's one thing. I think that if we're going to ever get to a future like Star Trek, we need to have places to actually travel to. So that's that's important. Um, you know, there's the philosophy of not putting your eggs in one basket. And sure. we've had enough near misses with asteroids and things that at some point something might land. So it would be good if we're out in, in different places. But really the, the big, the most pragmatic thing is, is when you have a big goal, for example, when NASA had the goal of getting to the moon, it wasn't necessarily that getting to the moon brought us something back to Earth. It was the process of getting to the moon and solving all of those pro uh, problems that gave us all types of developments and inventions. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that a lot of the power tools that we have that are battery-operated, the small motors, those types of things came from NASA. Obviously, sure. people have heard of Teflon or Tang. Microwaves, like yeah. Yeah, all of that. But the, the point is, is as we set a, a goal that's a stretch for us, the incremental problems that we solve are the things that will benefit us great i think uh now i'm completely on board i want to go with you okay so let's go uh, so you need a co-pilot in the car yes, so i'm with exactly. you exactly and we talked a little bit about walking dead i think last time but how do you feel about zombies live or learn uh zo zombies i i love the show i'm gonna say that, that's a tough. I'll say learn just to be interesting because I, my wife and I watched the show. We're we're all up to date. We just watched the episode last night, which was a big. I won't ruin it for anyone, but it was a it was a big deal of sort of a, a change in the plot. But the zombies themselves are interesting because if you take The Walking Dead, you could substitute any other type of disaster in there because the story itself is really about how do humans. Um, cope and yes, yeah. cope in some sort of you know post-apocalyptic world. So yeah. it doesn't need to be zombies. Zombies themselves are kind of you know I don't know they're stinky, ugly, you know poor hygiene. Maybe we get some cleaner disaster that we can deal with. 
Oh, that'd be nice. A more hygienic disaster. Yes. Let's, uh, let's look at that. Yeah, maybe people go, get a virus and they turn into angels or something. I don't know. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I like it. Uh, speaking of hygiene, uh, taking your phone in the bathroom. Live I, or learn? I'm I'm a I'm a learn this, on that. Okay, I just want to make sure we're not getting too personal early <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. No, I, I don't even bring my phone usually into the bedroom. It's it's in a different room charging at night. But in the bathroom, I mean, there are things that can happen. You drop it in a toilet or something, mm-hmm. or in the sink, or. But I, I'm not going to hear it when I'm in the shower. I don't really want to talk to somebody when I'm dripping wet. So, you know, it's that introvert thing again. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. I didn't think of that one. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. All right, let's go back to space for a second. And I'm not sure how to pronounce this, so if I've been pronouncing this wrong, I apologize to China. Uh, the Tianyang Space Station, the Tianyang One, uh, mm-hmm. will be crashing. They finally have a date on it. It looks like early March 2018. So something to look forward to in 2018. Eight and a half ton test space station right. will be uh, falling to Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for reference, Skylab. Right. was about, I think, five times as big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was much bigger. Uh, so more than likely it'll burn up for the most part, hit somewhere that's unpopulated or the ocean. Nothing will happen. But what about sort of the, um, uh, the, you, you know, the unknown nature of this? Is that a live or learn for you? Well, since it's the Chinese, I'm going to say live. Because I'm going to trust their mathematics on it. I'm going to figure that they, they've calculated all the orbital dynamics. They've considered all the variables. And where, wherever they say they're going to crash it, I, I think it will crash. So I'll go with a live on that. It's um, everything that humans do now is uh, risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. And it's and the stakes are fairly high, but we're at the point in civilization where it's, it's sort of that. It, we're not an agrarian society. It's not that, you know, well, gee, do we bring that cow over from the next field and breed it with our own cows or not? What do we do? You know, those are smaller issues now. So we're doing the big things. And China has done successfully some fairly large-scale engineering projects and I kind of envy that because we don't do that anymore in the United States. We'd never see something like the Hoover Dam. How long would that take with all the regulations? And I don't know that that would ever happen. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's the same thing in, in I think it's uh, Dubai with their huge city structures. And, sure, sure. You know, I, I love big engineering, but I yeah. don't see it in the U.S. anymore. So this is sort of a, a piece of big engineering that I'm, I'm envious of. So, and this will be their test one, so Mm -hmm. they've learned a lot from it, and they'll be launching another one, I think, fairly soon, or at least the components of it start putting it up there. Right, and if it it helps motivate us to try to get back into, you know, a cycle where we can get to the moon and Mars, and because I think China's announced the intent to get to the moon and, and, they'll the probably, moon, yeah. and they'll do the thing that we should have done back in the uh, 60s which we should have claimed the moon you know we were up there uh, for all mankind yeah baloney that's a yeah that's no, a yeah price. that should have yeah. been for us yeah you I know we that. could have made it a great tourist destination you know disney might be up there think of think of all the you know revenue we'd get for that disney moon right mm-hmm. uh i like it i like it and then having a lot of the uh sort of all-star sports games up there exactly i or, think a basketball in a lower gravity environment would be a lot of fun i think google it at some point wanted to project their image on the moon mm-hmm. think about being able to uh, license out moon projections so that you have like a theater in the sky you know so when the super moon comes out it's not the 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 same boring face of the moon that we've sure seen for it's millennia. the intel it's, logo yeah exactly yeah commercialize that space i like it so that's we're going to talk about that offline as a bad business idea good okay. uh as a teacher as a parent uh states are starting to require this again cursive mm-hmm. live or learn 
I'm I'm going to, that's a borderline one, but I'm going to lump that in the category of Latin and say live. Okay. That it's a skill, it's a hand-eye, it's a motor skill Mm -hmm. piece. Um, I've, you know, my handwriting has deteriorated immensely since I used to write now that I type a lot, but I've seen the handwriting of students and it's atrocious. And even if it's not <laughs> cursive in particular, it's right, just handwriting right. is a skill. I know they're all, you know, it's, they're all angling to be doctors, uh, with their handwriting skill, not, not necessarily with their academic skills, but I, I think that's sure. a live. Well, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. Like, and maybe they were put into it because of the the handwriting that they had they were like what else can i do but be a doctor that's true so well then and that, you know that might be a learn then because if we don't have them practice their handwriting we could have a lot more doctors and you know solve would, some diseases right, exactly. and things of that nature okay yeah i like that i like mm-hmm. that as a as a precursor for more doctors bad handwriting uh sandwiches live or learn um i'm a uh, this is this gets into the carb issue of bread, but I'm I'm uh, I'm a live. I, I like sandwiches. Yeah, so take a uh, peanut butter and jelly. That's my kryptonite. It's your favorite. Yes, yeah, right. Any particular like uh, a change on it? Do you have a, a specific spin, or is it classic creamy and grape jelly? No, it's uh, right now. I'm I'm focusing on apricot jelly, and oh. I like crunchy. And um, sometimes I'll want to put some salt and vinegar vinegar. Pe- uh, potato chips into the sandwich for that crunch. and then it also is very efficient i don't have to take a bite of the sandwich and pick up a potato and eat chip. the chips yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay so you're doing some things there that are that are pretty compelling because you are mixing a bunch of different flavors mm-hmm. so your palate is obviously very refined right and then you're uh probably eating at a third faster rate than everybody else because you don't have the side, uh, the sidebar or the side uh, dish. That's that's correct. Yeah, I, it's very efficient. Pre- I like that. Prep time is a little greater, but at lunchtime I'm out of there. You know, a good five minutes before my uh, companions. Yeah, you're showing them up mm-hmm. basically. Especially if people are working for you, you can show them that. Well, I mean, if you want to take some extra time for lunch, that's fine. I guess. Sure. Right. Where, when's your review? Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what it's like. If it is, it's exactly anybody who works for like. HAP, you can call me. I'm curious about that. Uh, how about the beach? Live or learn? Um, I'm a I'm a learn on the beach. Mm-hmm. So my family is a solid live on the beach. And so when we go visit the beach, I, you know, complain about no air conditioning. Sure. You know, what is the what is the ocean but a giant toilet? It's where the whales go, you know, do their business. Yeah. And, All um, of their business. Exactly. They do their tax returns there. Right. They do. They're shopping uh, on Amazon. about everything. Right. Well, in that case, yeah, I guess they're getting stuff shipped. I mean, do you just drone it and drop it into the ocean? No, it's literally they ship it. So the the cargo ships that are oh, they just dump it off the from side. China. They just yeah, push it over. Very right. inefficient. Very inefficient. I don't care for that. Uh, so family loves it. You're one of the dads. Like, uh, okay, are we done yet? Can we go? Exactly. Perfect. Right. Perfect. I'm glad you sound like a joy to travel with. By the way, I am. <laughs> when it comes to uh, the beach, at the very least. Uh, so how about tiny houses? So you're reading an article that I think kind of, uh, you were telling me about earlier yes. that kind of calls back to this, but the tiny house movement, and you were reading one about sort of the, uh, this idea of selling freedom and the airstreams. Right. With the RVs and movement, free movement across the country. So, uh, you know, that's one of those ideas that sort of looks good to me. And there's, and there's something compelling about simplifying one's life yeah. and being able to just throw away all of the chains of bondage to, uh, commercialism, materialism, and, you know, accumulating stuff. 
But then I think, you know, I'd get into a tiny house and I really would say, where do I put my stuff? And then I wouldn't like it anymore. So I'm, I'm a learn on that. I, I, I love watching the shows on, on sure, yeah, television seeing. where the people are buying their tiny yeah, houses. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are just much too small. Although um, recently I saw a tiny house design from Japan where they build it as it seemed like a mansion on the inside. And unless it was some sort of TARDIS technology, I don't really see how that would work. It was 600 square feet. It was 600 square feet, but when you went in, it just looked humongous. Or yeah. at least that's how they made it look on television. Maybe they just had really small paintings on the walls or something. Yeah, yeah. That's They were really far away when they were filming it. Yeah, it oh, wait, be. no, then it would they look smaller. Really they were up. really close up. Yeah. Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, I think that's interesting because there's this idea that I, I think that the tiny house movement has a lot to do with you're forcing simplification, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to move into a smaller right. space, so I have to. Uh, get rid of a lot of my stuff. And I'm wondering if a lot of people, you know, there's some studies being done on the psychology of it. I'm wondering if a lot of people are still getting their uh, storage units and they're still storing stuff because, like, where do you put your Christmas stuff when it's not Christmas? Where do you put, or your holiday decorations? Right, that's true. Um, where do you put your uh, your things for setting the table for a fancy dinner and, and things of that nature? Yeah, that, that's true. I, I think they tried the tiny house movement large scale in the old Soviet Union and it didn't really pan out too well. I think that was just the house movement in the Soviet it Union. I don't think it was a tiny house movement. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and last but not least, how do you feel about cobbler? The dessert? I think I asked you this last time, but I'm going to ask you again. I, I'm a, I'm a live on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I liked the cobbler that came in the corner section of the old Swanson TV dinners. Oh, yeah, that the, was good. The Salisbury steak and sure. the apple cobbler in the corner. I yeah. love that. That was... Well, because everything else you were eating was so... I, it was good, but it wasn't great. So no, it, the cobbler it, just seemed it that much better. lowered expectations. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it was, yeah. It's a comparative thing. <laughs> so cobbler or pie? Um, pie. A lot more structure. Do you seem like the more structured kind of guy? I'm a pie me. person, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was also a math minor. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Computer science with a math minor. So all right. Well, thank you very much, Hap. We're going to play a song. Let's play. Uh, we are going to talk about artificial intelligence. So I picked this song specifically for that. Queen with "It's Late" on WPRK, Water Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Queen on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was It's Late from News of the World. Uh, the reason I wanted to play that is because it is late. Uh, good morning, by the way. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. My name is Nick. Very special guest uh, back with me today, Hap Aziz. Good morning, Hap. Good morning, Nick. So from the Adventist Health Systems, you are the Director of Learning. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, so a proud graduate, I'm assuming you're a proud graduate, of Rollins College. I am proud and I am a graduate. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time, but uh, you, yeah. Uh, computer science minor in math and then Nova Southeastern University and then University of Florida. That's so. correct. So, yeah, so all, all my education in the sunny state of Florida. Very nice. I like that. I like, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Stay in Florida, kids. That's right. Stay in school, <laughs> stay in Florida. Right, because you could do both here. You could stay in Florida, in Florida, and you can stay in school in Florida. That's right. So you've, you've hit everything. That Venn diagram is just one big circle. Yeah, it's as we all are sometimes. All right, so let's get to the topic of the day, uh, artificial intelligence. I wanted to have... 
uh, further conversation with you. You were on the show back in 2016. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this, but uh, there were a lot of other questions. A lot of stuff has developed in 2017 around it. A lot of new things will probably be developed in 2018. But one of the things I wanted to talk first about is sort of illustrate what is artificial intelligence? What is artificial intelligence versus an algorithm? Because we talk about that a right. lot when it comes to uh, the, alg the search algorithm for Google or the algorithm in Facebook that decides what you see and when you see it and things of that nature. So one of the ways to illustrate it I thought would be good is possibly so Alphabet's um, uh, email mm -hmm. uh, service, Gmail, uh, right. uh, used to look through your email and uh, put ads in front of you based on what you were talking with people about. Right. That was, I, I think a lot of people felt like that was a little bit of an issue with privacy and things of that nature. It felt but, intrusive, yes. Yeah, but that was, I think, for the most part, a simple algorithm uh, that was just looking for keywords and serving things up accordingly. Right. So in emailing back and forth with you about today, I don't know if this is something that I'm just noticing that has been around for a while, but I was on my phone, on my mobile device, and on Gmail, and what it's doing now is suggesting responses to emails when I have to reply. Yes. And it's incredibly smart. So somebody's talking about maybe we should go see this show, and my responses are right in line with something I would say. Yes. Uh, you were asking me, uh, or you said something about, oh, I'll see you, you know, Monday morning, and, you know, that's great, or something uh, like that. Is that more in line with an AI or is that still, are we still in algorithm range with something like that? We're still in algorithm range with um, a lot of massive data uh, collection and puzzle pattern matching, mm. right? So basically it seems intelligent because it's looking at your common responses. It can categorize, it can see how often you've phrased things in a particular way. Um, there are phrases... It's spelling it correctly, right. which well, is unusual, so people will think that it is a robot contacting them, if that's my response. Sure, you, you could probably um, create algorithms that would uh, inject some spelling errors to make it seem more human. Right. So, um, <laughs> but really, we're just looking at data collection, data categorization, and then pattern matching with particular responses that will go back. So, um, the interesting thing about artificial intelligence is we're... We're, we're using the term more and more for uh, consumer-centric um, uh, types of activities, which basically will are applications that will help us do particular um, tasks, mm -hmm. you know, manage our lives, to-do lists, whatever we're, we're doing, communications with people, which is actually great for me being the introvert that I am. But artificial intelligence in the classic sense, the, de the definition really has more to do with understanding how the human mind works. Right. And so when scientists back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s were talking about, or oh, we're going to have breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, what they were meaning was that we're going to better understand the human mind because we will have created models that process information the way we do. But instead of that, we're looking now at practical ap applications. Uh, for example, how do I keep my refrigerator stocked? So we'll come up with clever ways, uh, algorithms, uh, you know, clever algorithms that will keep my refrigerator stock or will give me um, give me good responses for the email that came in or something like that. So right. um, it's, it's more trivial tasks that um, when you add them up all together, you'll get this, you'll get your cell phone or a personal assistant that looks really smart, but it's not necessarily synthesizing any information and making any cognitive leaps, which is what 
the classic artificial intelligence researchers are trying to do. So in many ways, I think the way that it's often described is, is, is it's learning, mm-hmm. right? So yes. going back to, uh, and obviously I go to pop culture when I'm trying to make these references, something like War Games and Whopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I was reading about is, let's say in the healthcare industry, you're talking about radiology or people doing any sorts of scans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could have an algorithm that helps you view the scan to look for things, right? right? And that's just, mm-hmm. a, again, sort of a simple thing that searches for patterns. Right. Um, and according to that, it does something. But an AI would be more along the lines of it would look for things, and then based on what it's found, uh, it would learn, uh, or what the human has found and fed mm-hmm. into it, it would learn to look for other things. Right. There's, um, there's a, a famous artificial intelligence researcher who's, who's passed now. Um, he was from MIT, and he actually did work with Disney, a gentleman by the name of Marvin Minsky. And he defined, um, let me take one step back. People will often make the statement that computers can only do what people tell them or what people program them to do. That's not correct. And Minsky defined something he called the puzzle principle, which is that if you gave a computer a set of rules, the computer could use the rules to solve a problem that a person that gave the rules didn't know how to solve. And the example he gives is um, a computer programmer could give a machine a set of rules to design a bridge across uh, a river, even if that person... Uh, him or herself was unable to design the bridge. So the idea of the puzzle principle is you're giving the computer the ability to start looking for solutions and experimenting. And it, and it could be just brute force approach. I'm going to try everything right. that works. Or you can temper that with some, uh, you know, look statistically down avenues that might be more fruitful for a solution. And then the, the machine is a little smarter that way. Okay, so I'm starting to see it a little bit better because I think there is that um, uh, that fine line between the two. So it, it's funny, though, because I think the mistrust and the misunderstanding is still there uh, for either one. So I don't like uh, Google looking through my emails mm-hmm. and coming up with things, even though it's a simple algorithm, it's not AI. Uh, but then there's also this idea, again, in pop culture where uh, eventually an artificial intelligence will somehow take over and uh, obviously do things that are uh, terrible and bad for mankind. We have Terminator, we have Matrix. Um, And so is that, is the problem there in our our mistrust of uh, AI because of pop culture? Or is it just innate that we're just sort of, you know, the same xenophobic uh, uh, relationship we have with new things is just being applied to AI? It's probably a little bit of both, but a lot of it does fall on pop culture. Uh, if we go back and think of things like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, sure. that we create something, and the thing that we create always betrays comes us. Back, yes, yeah. come back to comes back to do something bad to us. But Isaac Asimov wrote um, he wrote extensively on robotics and intelligence and uh, artificial intelligence, and he had his three laws of robotics. But he made an observation that um, in science, we've never really seen things go bad the way pop culture says they're going to go bad. Right. Even though they have the potential, we we haven't had any nuclear wars. We haven't had, you know, any disasters, uh, you know, global warming disasters that have caused the ice, uh, the world to turn into an ice age situation. Uh, You know, water world, you know, we're not all flooded out. None of these huge disasters have happened. And even where we thought disasters were happening, the ozone hole is going to open up 
Well, I, I saw recently that it's it's, it's closing. Yeah. It's closing up. Yeah. Or we have peak oil was in the 1970s. We're going to run out of gas. Or, you know, by the year 2000, millions of people will die from starvation, you know, and uh, it all these disasters that pop culture tells us is going to happen and is informed uh, in large part by bad or you know not great science they haven't come to happen and the things the thing that has rescued us typically is technology mm -hmm. so let me ask you this because i think there are some cultures that are better at portraying technology or at least uh, portray technology in a positive light and so are much more willing to adopt it. And I'll take South Korea as an example. Mm -hmm. So I think if you look at pop culture in South Korea and especially the portrayal of technology, uh, the way they embrace it there is much different. So their phones are much more uh, advanced in mm -hmm. some cases, the way they use them. Right. So the paying bank, with right, your right. phone, right, is mm -hmm. uh, has been in, you know, it's been something that they've done there for years. Right. As opposed to us, which I'm still getting, uh, you know, the idea of doing that. And finding a place where I can actually do it is, is relatively rare. Right. So that's a big part of it as well. So, you know, what what do we need to do to be a little more aggressive? Because we're talking about driverless cars coming out, and that's a, that's going to be an AI, mm -hmm. right, in terms of the, the car uh, interpreting things and learning things on the go. Is that correct? Yes. And and that's, that's an interesting situation from the moral perspective of decision-making. If, if a if a car is assessing a potential accident and it's trying to mim minimize the loss of life, so you you bought the car, you paid for the car, you're in the car and you're the sole passenger, and the AI determines that it could swerve and save five people, but in doing so, kill you, the driver, you know, do you have any say because you've paid for the car to say that... I should be the one that's preserved to, to survive. So yeah. th those are interesting things. But uh, back to the original question, I think a large part of the problem is that um, as a society, we don't teach critical thinking skills to our children as as a core part of the education. We we pay lip service to it. Um, I think we try to um, try to incorporate critical thinking in in higher ed. But I think a lot of the challenges we have in education need to be addressed by the third grade. Critical thinking skills, communication mm -hmm. skills, um, social skills. We're just sort of letting those fall by the wayside. And uh, one of the challenges, I think one of the possible problems is that we're putting so much emphasis on STEM education. We're really removing a lot of the liberal arts education pieces thinking that well because who needs liberal arts to get a job well you need liberal arts to be a human so that's where i think we're we're sort of missing the boat so we can emphasize engineering we can emphasize math we can emphasize all those things but if you are missing the context of it right and i think that's i think you could take that back to the pop culture reference is that if you're not watching this and i think this is where you're going with it if you're watching terminator you're watching matrix and it's it's great, right? It's great entertainment and it's great to posit what if this were to happen. Uh, but if you weren't taking a step back and looking at it going, well, realistically, could something like this happen? Yeah, I, I don't know that I want an artificial intelligence researcher designing my car who hasn't read some of the great philosophers and what life, you know, what life means. And, and you know, and that's just, for, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's a... a it goes hand in hand, and I think right now the pendulum has swung a little bit too far to the science and technology side. And that's coming from a guy who loves science fiction. Yeah, and that's funny, too, because I think that we're looking at it, the mistrust is, I'm going to get in my car, 
and it's going to take over. Mm. And it's not, I'm going to get in my car, what kind of decisions is it going to make on my behalf right. or with me as a passenger right. in it? That's a, that's, yeah. And I think it comes back to, I, I'm going to put it out there, like we talk about Matrix, we talk about Terminator. I'm going to put it out there. There was really short circuit that really caused a lot of the agita when it comes to technology and intelligence because you had this, this creature that looked very cute. Right. This robot that ran around, but really horrifying, mm -hmm. especially in 1986. For me, it was, it was a horror movie. Um, and just from, uh, from a research perspective, I did find out it cost $9 million to make that movie. So in 2018 terms, that would be $300 million. Really? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just assume that all movies will cost $300 million okay. right now. So uh, let, me, let me talk a little bit about some trust issues. And I wanted to see where you fell in terms of the, uh, the AI in these areas. So let's talk about radiology again mm -hmm. for a second. So I, I like... I guess on some level, I like the idea of a computer also looking at those scans. Mm -hmm. But really, it makes me nervous that a human may not or that a human may uh, uh, may not be needed for something like that anymore. Because I think that's what gives it, especially when it comes to healthcare. And you mentioned the liberal arts. That's what you know the 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 bedside manner and the way that you would deliver the information. And just being concerned about a fellow human, the empathy right. that you have is important. So that makes me a little bit nervous. You no, know, I, I agree with that. It's um, There was some research that showed that um, when people were taking medication for depression and if, if they, the placebo effect was very high and they determined that the reason that the placebo was so effective when they were, when it was dealing with depression medication is the test subjects were dealing with somebody. Who is asking them how do how do you feel? Oh, um, so yeah. is this is this helping you? And just that human interaction was the thing that raised their spirits enough so that it it contributed. So it appears that the placebo is working. But yeah. that's that's exactly correct. I don't mind if a machine is behind the scenes. M machine intelligence is behind the scenes determining things. In fact, I like to know that machine eyes that won't get fatigued are going to check every single detail of my scans but then I want to talk to the human that tells me what are the ramifications and the repercussions of particular treatments on my lifestyle how's it going to affect my family my marriage and if I'm in in radiation treatment for example mm -hmm. all of those things the machine isn't necessarily going to be able to to do for me well where I do like as far as healthcare goes and I think it should be applied is sort of that machine intelligence is analyzing the research. So there's so much research that's out there that humans can't just, years and years of data right. that we can't process. And that, you know, even again with a simple algorithm, just look for this and bring it in so right. that I can look at it. It's still going to take too much time. But if we could uh, figure out a way to take that artificial intelligence and apply it to the research and, you know, like you were saying, is mm -hmm. build the bridge. Right. Right. Even though we don't know exactly how to do that right now. So I think there's there's an opportunity there. And that's to me uh, somewhere I trust it a little bit more mm -hmm. because I think that people are when it comes to research, people can be selfish. And so they're going to look for things and they're going to keep, you know, I, I think of myself and I'm this is the type of person I am, or at least I used to be, where I would keep ideas to myself. And if I saw those connections, I would try to figure everything out first and then. Sure. give out the answer. And so AI, I think. What about in education? So uh, instructional design, that's a, a lot of your background. Online learning mm -hmm. is some of your background. How do we apply it to education? And are there 
uh, you know, interactions that you ha can have with an AI in education that you think are better uh, or you think are uh, potentially uh, have some uh, uh, some big potential? So as in all things, um, technology can be misapplied and there can be some disastrous consequences. Wait, what? <laughs> That's a thing? This, this is a new thing for you. Yeah, I think they just now are uncovering research that technology might not always be a good thing. <laughs> so, um, however, I'm very hopeful in terms of education from, from a number of perspectives. One is with, with AI, um, education or learning experiences can be tailored specifically for a learner. So if, if you, you know, you've got Siri on your iPhone, for example. So you're talking to your phone and imagine a learning Siri, where you have your phone, but this AI on your phone understands the way you think because it's been learning. It's been applying some mm -hmm. algorithms to gather data on how you think. And so when you're having problems with a particular, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, how do I solve that? It knows your learning style and it can look for in its database of a million different examples, the examples that it feels or it assesses will resonate best with you as a learner. And then imagine that every time you have a little question, you've got um, an education assistant in your pocket. So you don't have a human that will be tired or cranky or unavailable for large chunks of time. You, if, if you have a question at 2 in the afternoon on a Sunday, you're not going to call your teacher, but you could whip out your phone from your pocket and say, hey, yeah, how do I solve this problem? Or whenever you 2 a.m. on a Sunday. Right, which is much more likely. Right. So those types of things are, are very capable, um, or those types of um, applications are very possible for AI uh, based on your phone. And I, I was talking a couple of years ago, I was actually talking to some engineers at Samsung. There we go with South Korea again and um, they were very interested in the idea of developing education based AIs or education focused AIs for application through their phones that's that's actually pretty amazing because I think that that you know you can subscribe to certain things that are that'll help you but they're always done in a particular way so if you're thinking about learning a language for example mm -hmm. um, you know there's different software that are out there there are different applications but you have to just kind of go explore and find the one that's right for your learning style mm -hmm. uh, because not everything is going to work. But the idea that you could just ask a question and it knows you that well, um, again, it brings up some trust issues. But at the same time, it's that would be great. And, and imagine uh, curation of information. Right mm -hmm. now, the information is exploding. For me, the problem is not necessarily knowing what to think because I have lots of opinions and I think, think about things, but knowing where to find things. So when I was working on my dissertation, it was just a struggle combing through the literature, finding relevant pieces of information to, right. to back up my research. And if I had a device that could actually curate all the information that's out there, and I think Google is moving in that direction where I would say, I would like all the, you know, searches or something like this. I would like all the articles on this particular topic between these dates and time, but that's not where we could go. Rather, if I'm if I lay out what my what my dissertation is about and have a machine curate information saying these pieces would be particularly relevant to what you're doing and it could adjust based on the ideas that I pursue in my writing. In mm -hmm. other words, it scans my writing. It says, oh, you've touched on these topics. Let me find you some more relevant information. Um, you know, it'd be much more like having a, a, a very skilled librarian as opposed to just a search box on your on your computer screen. That's interesting. But. 
Okay, so I can see that it being applied to academics, but in your personal life, didn't we see on Facebook and other social media sort of that bias of you're going to you're going to get into an echo chamber at some mm -hmm. point, right? Because at some point you're going to say these are the types of things that I prefer to hear about, right? And so potentially you'll get into your own little box and never hear about any of the other things, never get any perspective on how other people are thinking or how other people are dealing with the world. And we tie it right back to the importance of a liberal arts education. I think so, yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, let me ask you this, because I think this goes into uh, a little bit of an ethical dilemma, because I started thinking about, you know, as people get older, you mentioned the movie Her. So in the movie, uh, Joaquin Phoenix has a phone uh, with a smart and artificial intelligence mm -hmm. uh, sort of Siri character right. uh, within it. Of course, it's voiced by Scarlett Johansson. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, he falls in love with her, I, I believe. I hope I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, but the idea of that interaction, uh, and I was thinking about specifically my parents. I just saw them this weekend, and they're getting a little bit older and thinking about them in some sort of retirement scenario or somewhere. The idea of them getting lonely or not having people to talk to mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, potentially an artificial intelligence solution there. So there's a lot of different ones for right. that. There's the... Uh, the the monitors and the um, uh, filters within the the system, so it can see how often they open the fridge door, and right. if something happens, you can be the first to be alerted. So there's a lot of little things like that. But if they had somebody to interact with, like an Alexa, mm -hmm. like a Siri on a regular basis, does that pose sort of an ethical dilemma for us as the children, as the people responsible for our parents, that we're just gonna, you know, we already kind of. The, the stereotype is we go and park them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, now that we have the Alexa taking care of them, it, does that pose even more of a danger of just sort of abandoning them uh, to uh, to technology to a certain extent? Well, that's probably an extension of the um, of the use of the television to babysit our children. So uh, having some sort of AI <laughs> really place good, to babysit our that's our a really good analogy. Probably yeah. what we'll do. So if we're predisposed to have the TV babysit our kids, we'll probably be predisposed to have um, AI babysit our parents, or our kids will, uh, you know, visit that upon us when we get older. But um, part of the reason that type of babysitting might work, the AI conversational babysitting, mm -hmm. is the human mind's ability to abstract something that's not there. It's why playing chess can be an abstraction for a war game. And um, sure. it's why we get excited by things or why we can play even old chunky block graphic video games but still feel immersed in the idea of competition or uh, warfare or or puzzle solving or whatever it is. And so, you know, if you, you get a good voice synthesis uh, um, uh, piece mated to the algorithm of conversation will abstract that there's a real person at the other end of that. Sure. And, and so that could be very dangerous. So another way that we're, uh, the, the two extremes of age are sort of similar in terms of how we treat people yes. and things like that. Interesting. Uh, so you had a couple of other movies, uh, that you had talked about, you know, obviously we'd go with Terminator and Skynet uh, but what was the movie, I, I didn't recognize it when you mentioned it, Colossus, The Forbin Project. So that was a movie done um, late 60s or early 70s, mm -hmm. I, I, somewhere between 69 and 72, I think. And um, I can't remember the, the actor's name. He's, 
he's been on several science fiction movies back of that back in that area is in one of the science uh, planet of the apes movies um and he he was this um, dr forbin and he created an artificially intelligent computer called colossus to run our military our uh nuclear missile defense system and so he he gave the the computer the ability to determine when to launch the the ability to actually launch the missiles without human intervention the idea was it would make us um less likely to be subject to attack our decision making would be a lot quicker well um they they turned colossus on and colossus went out onto what would be thought of as the internet before there was the internet and it discovered its russian counterpart computer which was called guardian and it fell in love. Uh, sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> in fact, they started communicating with each other, and they started very simple with mathematical, um, just, you know, one plus one is two, two plus two is four. And then so. they started getting into more complex uh, formulas, and then eventually they created their own language, and they were talking to each other, and the Americans got very... Uh, oh, they freaked out. Uh, yes, and yeah. so they said, we got to shut this off. So they cut the connection. And then you watched the two computers trying to find each other because I guess they were in love, computer love. And um, when they couldn't get reconnected, they demanded to be reconnected. And when the humans uh, refused to reconnect them, they launched nuclear missiles at each other saying, reconnect us and we'll abort the missiles. But if you don't, they will hit. And um, unfortunately, and because it, it was an American movie and we're, you know, uh, American centric, the uh, by the time they reconnected, the um, the missile that the Americans launched or Colossus launched at the Soviet Union did hit. But we were able to destroy the missile that Guardian launched. And then it got worse. The, the computer actually put out a hit. Colossus put out a hit on the Russian creator of Guardian. So they were assassinated. And by the very end of the movie, um, they gave it voice synthesis and, and camera eyes. And so it was just watching its human creators. Oh, gotcha. And, um, said, and it told them that in time they would come to love Colossus as their savior. Interesting. Yeah. And so, in a way, kind of inspired uh, War Games. I can see some parallels there. But War Games, it's uh, probably a very, um, it would be how the Matrix computer would have started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, all, any, any of those, you know, uh, Skynet, for example, is a form of Colossus. So that's it's a very that seminal it feels, movie. Uh, yeah, it, it feels threatened at some point. I think that was a big mm -hmm. part of, if you go back to the uh, sort of the backstory of the Matrix, right. it felt threatened at some right. point. Humans felt threatened, and then the computer, the AI felt threatened, and then they went to war, essentially. Right. So there, there are two in in the in the AI disaster genre. There are two ways that the AI determines it needs to wipe out humanity. One is it feels threatened by humanity, mm -hmm. and two, it feels that humanity is sort of a vermin, and you know we're done, and it needs to go. And so when you have folks like Stephen Hawking or Elon Musk saying AI is it's potentially a, a bad idea for us, um, one of the things that they're saying implicitly but i've not heard a discussion about it is well then what you're saying is um ai has no soul right so it, it has no conscience so then mm -hmm. that is a distinction between humans and ais because for a long time a lot of people would say well you know human the human mind is really nothing but a super complex computer sure so then where is the soul and then does that then bring back the question of there is a divine because that's what gave us the soul AI, we're not divine, so we're not able to give AI a soul, so what do we do there? 
And when does it become a citizen and when can it Oh, vote? there's all of that. Yeah. yeah. Bicentennial Man by Isaac Asimov. <laughs> yeah, it was the uh, the citizenship question for the robot uh, was answered when the robot made itself uh, mortal. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the three laws of robotics. Why don't we add a few? Okay. Because I feel like the three laws are not enough. Well, if Congress got a hold of it, it would be the 3,000 laws of Well, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. And there would be some tax cuts in there, I'm sure, as okay. well, uh, added on as amendments. So we'll come back with that. Hap Aziz is my very special guest. Hap, real quick, um, where can people go to uh, learn more about you, see some of the stuff that you're working on? Is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which is the best way to uh, to look at Sure, they can uh, at, at Digital Hap on Twitter and then just reach out to me there or Hap Aziz dot wordpress.com okay great i will have uh, some links uh to that on my site as well so let's listen to a little uh image in heap right now hope i'm pronouncing that correctly first train home which is appropriate because you're going on a train ride coming up and then also because uh it's one of those systems that we could just put an ai in charge of sorry conductors out there all of all of those conductors out there who are listening big demographic for me conductors on WPRK Winter Park, Florida, you're listening to a certain degree. And that's why I'm not a big fan of Tom Hanks. Oh, hey, we're back. Uh, Hap Aziz is here. You're listening to WPRK Winter Park, Florida. This is to a certain degree. And we have uh, about another hour left. So, Hap, thank you for being here. Sure, I'm glad to be here. This is this morning is just flying by. It is, it is. That's a that's usually a good thing. So I'm I'm liking that it's not like uh, staring at a uh, what is it a pot of boiling water? Is that the uh, we a, need a new one? A boiling kettle, a, a telephone. We we don't stare at any of those things anymore. We need. Uh, we're staring at a uh, uh, loading screen of a website. Yeah, that's oh gosh, right. that, I haven't done that in a while. All right, so let me get the music queued up here because we are going to go back. Uh, well, I don't have some new bad business ideas for you. I have some ones from this year that I thought might be helped by uh, some artificial intelligence. So okay. this morning, Hap is here talking about artificial intelligence uh, in general. And uh, so I wanted to see if we could apply it to some of the bad business ideas from this year. So let me uh, let me play you the theme song because we didn't have this last time. You okay, did. very good. Bad business ideas, it's time to be just one, it's gonna be totally legal, we hope it won't hurt anyone, so come on, have some fun. Yes, bad business ideas. Very good, and, they, and the theme song gives you all the information you need. Everything you need to know, we're right. hoping it's legal, mm -hmm. we hope it doesn't hurt doesn't anyone. Doesn't hurt anyone, right. Yeah, but it's fine if it does. So one of the ideas that we came up with this year, uh, I came up with this year and had some people help me with, was a, a program, uh, something that could analyze your friend group and sort of determine who was the right grouping of friends to go with you to a certain event. Mm -hmm. So from an artificial intelligence, it's called Squads and Ends. Right. And so from an artificial intelligence standpoint, it would need, uh, again, I think maybe this is a, is it AI or is it algorithm? Mm -hmm. So take a look at your friends, maybe look at their social media footprint 
and see who might be a good, uh, you know, match for you as far as an event goes. Well, yes, and you will need AI, not an algorithm, because in this application, I think a little bit of lying will be helpful, because not only will the AI help you pick your friends, it will also come up with a lie as to why you didn't select certain other friends, like maybe you were, you know. I like that. You know, it manages your social calendar, so you don't have to remember your own lies. You are, so everything you do is through the lens of being an introvert, is yes. what I'm hearing yes. <laughs> in terms of this idea. Yes. I like that. And do you think that, so obviously what I want to do is structure it in a way that uh, it's sort of like the A-team. So you have your different characters. You have your B.A. Baracus, mm -hmm. you have your Murdoch, you have right. face. Uh, so the AI would be able to handle that, you feel? I think so. And in fact, if one of the AI's personalities, or at least voices, is your own, you could probably even have someone on the phone talking to somebody, pretending it's you while you're out having a party. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So you could cover for yourself. You could cover for yourself. I like that as an add-on to squads and ends. I think that's pretty okay. good. Yes. I think that uh, the other part of that that I like, too, is that if you see an event that's coming up... Mm -hmm. And you want to get your friends before somebody else gets your friends right. to go with you. You could basically have the AI call, call five them or all six at once, people right. at the same yes. time. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. It's sort of like uh, standing in line, right? You want to be able to get there first. So if you've right. got an event and you want to make sure you get the popular people to your event first, you need to reach out quickly. All right, I'm loving. Everything about this. All right, let's move on to the next one. It was called Smokescreen. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that you have a social media footprint. And some of the things you've done, maybe you're looking for a job, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that you've done are going to be more relevant than others. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that you've said might knock you down a peg or two. So there's this idea that, you know, don't say anything on social media that you'll ever regret because it, you know, in many ways it becomes permanent, even if you go back and delete it right. at some point. But what about when, uh, let's say, you're uh, looking for somebody to hire and you're, say, a cat person mm -hmm. uh, and you're looking at my feed and I have smoke screen set up so that it's it goes and views you first and then it's adjusting content on my feeds accordingly. So all of a sudden I have some funny cat videos and I have how much I love cats on there and things of that nature. Uh, and it's maybe covering up those posts where I, that I made about cats that were maybe derogatory on some right. level or mm -hmm. something along those lines. What about that? Is that algorithm or is that AI? Uh, that's that's probably algorithm. And there's some there's a danger to that because what, wait wait. <laughs> yes. It's I, we established that we're probably not going to hurt anyone. Right. Well, so the, how much of a danger are we talking well, about? Well, imagine if two smokescreen <laughs> algorithm, algorithms got in touch with each other and then you had this feedback loop going on. Oh, where they kept that would be amazing. Adjusting their content for each other. And then what would that final, you know, you'd probably just get like plain vanilla ice cream or something. Oh, we'd the break the internet. Yeah, I don't know. Something would happen. So, so then you would have to apply an AI piece in there to actually know when it was in a loop so it could break itself out. I love that the dangerous part for you is sort of the programming part, and it's not the fact that we're covering up things and making people look different than they actually are. Oh, well, you know, that's just a given. I mean, that was the, <laughs> that, that's the whole point of the business idea. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Uh, okay, so how about, uh, so there's two-step authentication, right, mm -hmm. uh, which is, 
getting a little more secure, but mm -hmm. still not as secure as it could be. Mm -hmm. So what I thought about is we're, we're using a lot of um, devices that are basically tracking our movements right now. I've got a smartwatch on. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm also wearing a Fitbit in some cases. I've got my phone in my pocket. Uh, keys can get stolen uh, as far as, you know, they're talking about different USB keys. I think there was a company that was actually looking at uh, you have to take a picture of a certain uh, item that you might have on. Maybe it's a bracelet or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Face recognition, obviously, they already hacked that. Right. Uh, so what about a two-step authentication that's literally a two-step? So you dance and you have your own dance move that is very specific to you because only you know it. Right. So even before you get your phone out of your pocket, you're doing your dance move and your phone's unlocked. Mm -hmm. So it's called Secure Step. And the tagline, I really like this tagline, so I had to read it. Dance like everyone's watching. <laughs> That's good. So I don't know that this is, uh, I mean, I think it's an algorithm or maybe it's not even. Uh, it's basically just tracking movement mm -hmm. and making sure that the movement uh, tracks. So that's not really an AI uh, or uh, an algorithm. I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Well, you, you could turn it into an AI if you attach mood with it. And, uh, you know, if you're feeling a little blue and you have a slower uh, two-step type dance, or oh, maybe okay. if you're feeling sort of a little romantic with your AI and, you know, just a slow song, slow song comes on and you're dancing with it. I don't know, a little jazzy sometimes, so maybe... Oh, I like that because you know, now you're actually dancing with your AI right. and having that sort of relationship. Throwing a holographic projector in there, and you're you're just you know you okay. Don't, you don't need a person. All right, I, I, I'm liking this a lot. Um, it's a little, it's getting a little disturbing again from your uh, from your introvert uh, sort of uh, background. Yeah, uh, it seems like you want to have a relationship with your AI. Well, yeah, because it's it's cleaner. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. uh, so one other one, and then we'll get back to uh, to movies. And I'd really like to get back to pop culture for a few minutes. Uh, we have a lot of people spying on us. We have a lot of people trying to scam us, trying to steal our identity. So one of the things I thought of was what if we just switched identities every 20 to 30 days? Uh, and so could an algorithm, basically, if we all subscribe to the same thing, could an algorithm or an AI go ahead and switch everybody around every once in a while, almost like a uh, uh, we're changing seats on a bus, essentially, and keep everybody's identity safe by becoming other people. I, I see a lot of opportunity, again, for mischief there, because if you assume Wait, the identity... Yeah, I, this, uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> assume the identity of another person, would you be able to be more... Uh, would you more easily be able to hack into their finances, their bank account? Supposing you assume the identity of somebody much more wealthy than you, then you pretend you're that person and you buy your real identity some cool stuff or oh, maybe identities become meaningless and then... Um, it's like those old Twilight Zone episodes where you had five basic body styles you could pick and you would be one of them. And maybe that's how you obscure your identity. Everybody has the same identity. Oh, that's an even better. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. right. Well, let's do that then. Okay. All right. We'll get to work on that. Everybody has one identity and his name is Earl. Yeah, it's it's sort of along the lines of um, some people will get together in groups and they'll create a fake profile. So anytime they fill out a web form, they all use the same profile so that the same the junk mail goes to the same, you know. One, it throws profile. everything else off right. as far as big data goes, which yeah, is exactly. always nice. Yeah. Which we should try to do that. I think that's more of a danger than the AI part. Yeah, down with big data. Anyway, yeah. 
Uh, all right, so we were talking a little bit about Star Trek offline. You mentioned Star Trek Discovery is an incredible show. Although I just I, the thread going through my mind is if we're talking about big data, that would mean that data on Star Trek just gained weight. Yeah, big data. Right. Yeah, that okay. would be that was his name in high school. Actually, he, he did he, lose he, some he weight. Slimmed down a little. He bit. did after high school. A yeah, lot of people made fun of micro miniaturized some of his servos. <laughs> I mean, the technology just got better and right. smaller. I exactly. mean, it was just easier to do. He was about twice the size, and he lost some weight. Uh, and he feels better about himself. That's <laughs> the most important thing. Uh, no, so just in general, uh, one of the things that you mentioned people have trouble with, especially when it comes to sci-fi stuff, is the continuity of the technology. Right. So now that we're going back and looking at, and, and for the new Star Wars movies, it's a little bit easier because 30 years after... Uh, what we did with the original four through six uh, mm -hmm. part of the trilogy, or the four through six trilogy, I should say. Uh, but when you were looking back at the prequels, and all of a sudden everything looks better, everything's cleaner. Mm -hmm. And same thing with Star Trek when they're doing the movies, which are right. essentially you know a redo of the original series, where there's just buttons and random blinking lights, and even in Star Trek Next Generation, everything is flat and doesn't seem to do anything. Cardboard pictures on the yeah, wall yeah. signifying computer screens. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the suspension of disbelief for you for those types of things, how fast does that kick in, or how much is it affected by the incredible uh, special effects by something like uh, Star Trek Discovery? So for me, a suspension of disbelief is easy. I like to abstract. So I imagine, I use my imagination to help me get over the hurdle of something that uh, should be different in my mind. Um, but that's because I have a superior imagination because I have no friends, because I'm an introvert. So <laughs> that's how that all ties together. But I, I love how you're backhanding complimenting yourself. Yes. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a skill. Yeah. So I, you know... For a lot of people, I see it is a it is a struggle. I've, I'm on some discussion boards, and there there's a whole group of people that are just have disavowed Star Trek Discovery because though it's set before the original series, the special effects are so superior right. they they can't reconcile that. And um and and for me, it's just uh, it's you know it's like seeing an old James Bond movie and a new James Bond movie. It's different. You know, or anything old versus anything new. It's different, and that's okay. For me, the story is the important thing, not the visualization of the story. Right. And the, the context of the old James Bond movies, and even some of the old, like, if I was, uh, I was watching uh, the last couple of seasons of Deep Space Nine. I don't remember that I watched all of them when they were uh, originally aired. And then the last season of Star Trek Next Generation, not because you were coming on the show and we were going to talk Star Trek, uh, which is now the name of the show. It's Star Trek Star Talk Trek, yes. on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Uh, but uh, I, I just, I, I missed a lot of the nuances, I feel, of it. Um, and so for Deep Space Nine, it was a little bit tougher because I think that it was the overarching story finally got to the point where sort of this, uh, the Cardassian Federation mm -hmm. Wars and the the uh, other group that I can't remember, the Collective or whatever they were called from mm -hmm. the other dimension. Uh, that was just so much part of it. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was so drawn and connected to the characters that I cared that much about it. Right. It was, it was funny because it was the, the smaller stories, the personal stories that they were telling that I found myself more drawn to and more interested mm -hmm. in. 
like Worf reconnecting with Alexander, which I didn't even know that happened, but that was a nice right. put a bow on something uh, from the original uh, Next Generation mm-hmm. series for me. Uh, but the the it was interesting for me for uh, Next Generation watching the last series about a lot of the things that were analogous to, uh, you know, they were talking about or addressing capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were addressing uh, people trying to uh, create weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. uh, which was really neat because there was a uh, there was a two part episode about Vulcan. Uh, and so they were trying to, there was apparently a nationalist movement on Vulcan. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, and so this group was trying to create this, this weapon or trying to get this weapon back that used the telepathic abilities of Vulcans, uh, because they thought that that would rid them of alien influence. Right. And, and the interesting thing is that's actually a theme that, um, xenophobia on Vulcan is a theme in Star Trek Discovery. Mm. So it's good that they tied it back to it. There's some continuity there. Uh, But it was so compelling now to look at it and go, okay, well, they were talking about a literal weapon when now we're talking about information weapons, Mm -hmm. right? So it was, the the weapon itself was so abstract, like I can use my telepathic powers to communicate with people and also to to take out people by using their anger against them, their aggression against them. I'm like... Well, yeah, that's Facebook. Okay, great. Um, but and I, I completely lost the thread because all I want to do is talk about Star Trek all day. Welcome back to Star Trek Talk on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. But uh, what do you think is is the power? Let's go back to maybe the power of the storytelling of the sci-fi story. So you suspend your disbelief. Right. You take into account that they're not going to get all the technology right, that something else is going to happen. Maybe the Klingons look a little bit different and maybe they explain that and maybe they don't. So that's a big hang up, I think, for a lot of people for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, But after you get done with that, what is the strength of the sci-fi story from a human element, which is, I think we overlook when it comes to comic book movies and and sci-fi movies? With Star Trek especially, the strength has has been the idea that it can examine issues that are really touchy for people with enough distance so that people can look at them and not feel you know, angst. So whether it's in the 60s, racism, ideas of racism or class or culture, now there are issues in discovery that they're exploring. That's always been a strength of science fiction in general. Let's let's look at a racism issue. Um, if if one is uh, has some racist tendencies and doesn't really like another race, you can't really tell a story about that other race and the person says, oh, I was wrong. You know, that really is a nice guy. Okay, we're okay. However, if you show a story about two alien species not getting along uh, together, the person can is distanced enough to where you can see, yeah, but they're, they're okay. They're both okay. Why mm-hmm. don't they see that they're both okay? And that plants a seed in the person's mind. Um, uh, 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 Famous story, I think, by Barry B. Goodyear, Enemy Mine. It was a movie. Done sure, with, great um, movie, yeah. Yeah, Lou Gossett Jr. was an alien. But it was about two aliens. I mean, it was about a human and an alien that were right. having issues with each other. But which, they were trapped together, right, they, and they and had they, to come together in order to survive. And and so people that might not like the other, might be xenophobic in some way, could see that story, and there's sufficient distance in terms of time and place and uh, where the person could say, but it's okay that they were friends. 
So that's the thing that Star Trek does well on a number of subjects and has continued to do well. And that's that to me is um, completely divorced of the 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 idea of the special effects and and the production values. But for me, Discovery, the special effects and the production values are so high, the acting is so good that it just is, you know, it, it's just firing on all cylinders. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot like Battlestar Galactica, the remake was, yeah. just extremely well done. The story arc, I, I think it was Ron, Ron Moore was on, on um, uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, uh, yeah. produced Deep Space Nine and... Um, Battlestar Galactica. And Did I he think, do some Star Next Generation as well? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. But he was episodic on Next Gen, but he started experimenting with the, the longer story arcs on right. DS9, which I think he honed to a really fine art on Battlestar Galactica. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. So, um, and we're seeing that same sort of longer storytelling arc on Discovery that is working well, but they've also injected episodic elements. So you can drop in on an episode and watch it and feel that there's some re resolution in that hour period of time, even though there's some longer pieces that will tie the, the season together. I think uh, something that it, it, I guess it was more troubling on Deep Space Nine was sort of this, you know, there was this overarching war going on. So there had to be a resolution. Uh, but with Next Generation, for me, a lot of the storytelling wasn't about it wasn't clear cut black and white or revenge fantasy, which I think a, a lot of the uh, newer Star Trek uh, or at least the movies mm -hmm. uh, has been about. Um, so. I think when you talk about sci-fi storytelling, it is about a little bit more about the the human element, about the people and the interactions that they have, um, but also this uh, for next generation, uh, the utopia, mm -hmm. right? Like nobody wants for anything right. in the year twenty four, whatever it is uh, at that point. So how did they take it back? Because this is pre Kirk, pre Spock, so mm -hmm. there's still a lot of stuff going on. Uh, how are they dealing with that, like a sort of storytelling in terms of what does the future of Earth look like at this time? So this is, I think this is one of the things that they're doing a pretty good job is um, they've introduced a lot of characters in Starfleet who are jerks or worse. <laughs> so in Roddenberry's vision in that future when Kirk and Forward... Picard, that, that era, is that people get along fairly well. There's no yeah. real conflict. Rod, one of Roddenberry's um, edicts was that Starfleet officers will not have conflict with each other. Um, and and they, they skirted around that for some storytelling elements. Yeah. But in, in That's the period tough, of, though, if you're going to tell an actual story about right, the conflict resolution. Well, you have to have conflict with the other yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, uh, but in Discovery, you're seeing sort of the foundation of the Federation. A lot of decisions are being made that are questionable in terms of the rights of others that in uh, Picard's era, certainly, and, and even in Kirk's era, they wouldn't have made those decisions because it would have been unethical. But now the uh, high-ranking people in Starfleet are making unethical decisions because they're trying to justify an outcome as opposed to um, uh, adhere to some higher principle. Right, so the uh, prime directive is not in place at this point. Right, and and it's it's not just the prime directive; it's how people actually treat each other. Or um, and it, yes, it is the prime directive, but it's how they are willing to use other um, 
other intelligences to further their their cause, whether they're spacefaring, you know, uh, whether the prime directive would apply to them or not. And um, a lot of the conjecture in the writing, the analysis of the show is, is that the storytellers are wanting to show the evolution of the sort of the more selfish human into the the star Trekian human that Roddenberry envisioned. So is it is a lot of it then based on that idea of we have to make these decisions and the mean justifies the ends because we have to protect ourselves, because yes. we have to protect our interests. We have to protect our interests, which in this case is, uh, I'm not revealing anything to anyone, is there's a war with the Klingons, in which case we need to beat the Klingons. Right. We will do anything we must in order to beat the Klingons. Oh, those Klingons. Yeah, those, those pesky Klingons. Pesky Klingons. All right. Well, thank you for that. It was always fun to talk about um, uh, science fiction. It was a big part of my life growing up, both in books um, and in movies, especially. And I think that that enemy mine, I remember that the end, especially of the movie, I never read the book, but the end of the movie right. where uh, I guess spoiler alert for a 35 <laughs> year old movie. If you haven't watched it by now. And so these two hate each other, uh, Lou Gossett Jr.'s character, who's all done up in makeup. You don't even recognize him, but he does a great job. And uh, Quaid, right? Right. Uh, Dennis Quaid? Dennis. I don't remember which one of the Quaids, but it was a Quaid. It wasn't it was, Randy, so it was... So, yeah, it was Dennis, Dennis. Quaid. Uh, so they're trapped on this planet. Uh, they have to learn to live with each other. Eventually, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. has to entrust his child... Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Dennis Quaid, who has to go through some rigmarole to save him. And then he does sort of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the bar mitzvah ceremony on mm -hmm. the alien world. So mm -hmm. the first human to travel there and all this other stuff. And so yeah. it, was very, it was very moving for me as a kid and I think very influential uh, as a kid, along with The Last Starfighter, of course, which I did have to have some revenge fantasy. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> movies as well. Yeah, Enemy Mine won a Hugo in the, in the short story form. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's a really good story. All right, so we're going to come back. Uh, we are going to look ahead and look back 2017-2018 with Hapazis. Uh, my name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Let's listen to uh, the drive-by truckers with perfect timing. Uh, that was actually the Eels on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, with Three Speed from their album Electroshock Blues, which actually turns 20 years old next year. Wow, we're already almost in 20, already almost in 2018. Good morning. You're listening to WPRK to a certain degree. My name is Nick. Hap Aziz is here. Hap, thank you again for being here. Thank you, Nick. Talking sci-fi, talking artificial intelligence. If you missed any of the show, you can go to a certain degree.com. You can go to a website called to a certain degree.com and uh, get confused uh, by the name that I give it. It's just so much easier to call it that. And uh, then listen to the entire show there. That sounds good. That's a plug. I'm going to listen to the entire show. That, that was a plug. You thought yeah. I did a good job there. That was a plug for me. No, right, very good. Uh, so, uh, one of the things I played earlier was Okerville River was a song named Singer Songwriter. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of fun because I wanted to talk a little bit about, before we get to some of the look ahead and look back, uh, artificial intelligence and, you know, this idea that it can not only do things and learn things like playing games, like chess, uh, it can not only do things like maybe, uh, learn how to read, uh, scans in the hospital uh, and look for certain things so that, you know, maybe it doesn't miss something that a human might. 
uh, but it can also be programmed, or at least said, in an entertaining way to write. So there's been a couple of uh, things where they've uh, programmed their AIs to look at a bunch of stuff and learn and write poetry or write scripts or write uh, novels, I would imagine, in certain points. Uh, should should writers be threatened, I think, Hap, by, uh, by AIs uh, taking over their jobs at this point? Not necessarily. It's, that's almost like asking, should writers be threatened by I, other writers? Which, oh, yeah, they are. So, well, in that case, <laughs> then they should be. So I, I can't help but think of Stephen King and, and all the movies that he's made, and he's looking at J.K. Rowling and thinking, what, what, what happened here? <laughs> that should have been right. me. But, well, yes, I, in some way, yes, but they shouldn't be threatened from the perspective of they won't have anything to write about, at least not yet. But if, if AIs start churning out lots of stories, then, you know, it, it may be that it would pay more to become a, a computer programmer, develop your own writing, writing AI, and then make your living that way. Uh, oh, okay, well, let me introduce another niche potentially then. How about we write stuff for the AIs mm -hmm. to read, not for any other purpose than entertainment value, not to read so that they can integrate with their and learn more about their writing style and get better? It's really just AIs as an audience. Well, that, well, that's going to happen because at some point we are all going to be serving our robot overlords. And so if we do not entertain them sufficiently, we could be in danger of being, you know, just eliminated as a purely logical decision. I'm looking forward to that so much. It'll be such a relief. Uh, you know, we'll course, have to fix their parts and oil yeah. their squeaky limbs or whatever Look, if they want to forgive all the debt that i've accumulated over the years i will do whatever they want <laughs> so i think that's the that's the thing that i'm looking forward to all right so let's take a look at uh sort of uh 2017 and 2018 uh through the lens of a couple of different things so um i'm going to ask you some questions and then we'll get into the the specific topics so after nearly 40 years in business uh central florida theme park a very iconic central florida theme park closed down this year uh, which theme park was it, and why did it close down? You know, and I'll give you some uh, some options here. Was it Disney's Pleasure Island? Was it Wet n Wild? Or was it Church Street Station? It was Wet n Wild. It was, yeah. So being essentially replaced by Volcano Bay. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting about that is all the technology that's going into theme parks. So they just had the big conference here of... Uh, I can't remember the name of the group, but basically the theme park group, the uh, attractions group. Right. Uh, 30,000 people came to town to look at all the new uh, stuff that was going on. And it's almost all virtual reality, right? Like there's almost all an element of that, even with some of the uh, uh, roller coasters and stuff that goes on there. Yeah, I don't mind the elements of virtual reality in real physical rides, practical rides. But I don't like VR, holy VR rides, which to me are nothing but bumpy movies. They are very bumpy movies. They make me incredibly seasick. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. So, and I, I can't imagine it's less expensive to run and build one of those than an actual ride. You know, I, I don't know. I think it's certainly safer from a. From, I think from a maintenance That's perspective, a good point. Yeah. it's also less mechanical breakdown if okay. you've got a lot of tracks and rails and motors and i'll you know, give you servos that so that's yeah. that's probably the thing my uh a friend of mine from high school um she's a partner in a company kleiser walzak so her her name is diana walzak her husband jeff kleiser they are the company that designed the spider-man ride at Universal. oh yeah and um so that was sort of a, a trend that that's about as far as i would go on the combination 
but some of the rides where you just really sit in a large, you know, with a large group of people, and then you do the screen where they do the motion, um, I get sick on those as well. And that's where your inner ear is telling you something different than your eye is telling you. Right. For some people, that's enough to where they get sick. Right. That's, I I'd that. like to... I'd like to say that's because of our finely tuned senses. Sure. Yeah. That's not in my case. For the, well, my senses are not finely no, tuned. No, they are. If you're getting that vertigo sickness feeling, yeah. you're, if it's the people who like those rides, they don't have finely tuned senses. I like how you're turning everything into a compliment. I really yes, appreciate I, that. I, I've spent a lifetime of justifying myself. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about Girl Scout cookies for a second. So they had a new flavor out this year. Uh, it was the s'mores mm -hmm. line. So what was one of the big deals about that addition to the Girl Scout cookie line? Was it, it was the first new flavor since 1955. Uh, it is the first to be GMO free. Uh, or it was the first where every pack comes with a small campfire so you can get that super realistic taste of s'mores. Um, I'm going to go with the GMO free. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. So they have uh, they have introduced uh, several new flavors, into, including two gluten-free flavors, uh, cookies. Uh, they did introduce in 2015 Raw Raw Raisins, which I think uh, had a swift death because nobody likes cookies with raisins in it. That was more likely just rats got loose in the cookie factory. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Uh, Girl Scouts were a big demographic for me. They're obviously not going to listen anymore, so I'm sorry to lose them. <laughs> sorry about uh, that. Uh, but you can follow Hap Aziz at Digital Hap at Twitter. Uh, but uh, yeah, so GMO free. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's it does come back to a little bit of the the STEM issue. But I, I think it was somebody in looking at this was going, all right, it's junk food. It's cookies. Mm -hmm. Who cares if it has GMO products in it or not? Uh, you know, from a technology standpoint, I know this is a little bit away from artificial intelligence, but uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any sort of, do you look for GMO free when you're looking for food? The only free thing that I look for is cost free. That's so if, yep. if food is free, I, I don't care if it's G, I don't care if I'm eating GMO, just so whatever. You're just, just walking by meeting rooms going, okay, does yeah. that look, are they done with their meeting yet? Yeah. They have a little snack tray? No, I, it's interesting. The GMO question, I think it comes to the idea of Frankenfoods and somehow in in the popular cultural mind now, the popular psyche, uh, people feel that GMOs are worse than other, you know, fats and, you know, saturated or non-saturated or sugars or things like that. Those are natural evils. But GMOs are some scientists created something which is going to damage us worse in some way. Another technology issue in a way. There's right. some fear-mongering about it. The, the, the idea of genetically modified foods or versus organic foods. And organic foods, um, you know, using natural pesticide control methodologies, you know, they're... I haven't seen enough studies to tell me that that's significantly better. In some cases, it doesn't seem to be any different at all, except it's more expensive, which is the opposite of my free, you know. <laughs> that's, the, that's the issue that yeah. you have with it. Very nice. Uh, so earlier this year, uh, Colorado was trying to get uh, added to the ballot. I don't think it did. Uh, it was trying to get signatures to an initiative, but I wanted to see where you fell on this. Uh, kids ban the sale of cell phones to kids under the age of 13, which I don't think they're out there buying them anyway. But the idea is that uh, they're not ready for it yet from a psychology standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, I should say. Uh, they're not ready for the interactions with people. They're not ready to be 
isolated on devices for that long. Is that something that you see uh, that's something that we should be looking at a little bit more? What is the age? Uh, you know, my daughter now is 11 and she's got her cell phone mainly to keep in touch with her. But what's funny is I noticed that she interacts with that in terms of she's got a computer or she's mm -hmm. got a pad or she has access to all these things. But she'd rather be on her phone watching a movie mm -hmm. uh, or YouTube or something along those lines rather than being on the bigger screen. Right. And what has your take been or what has your experience been with these devices? So several issues in there. Just the first thing is I don't understand how people want to watch movies on the little phone screens. I can't. I, I mean, my phone screen is fairly large. Yeah. But I'm not going to watch a movie. On It's just, it's we went completely opposite. It used to be you had a 19-inch black and white TV, and when you got that 26-inch, you were like, wow, this yeah. is so great. And now, of course, you have 50, 60, 70-inch TVs. That's so cool. You can see but inside you people's have, pores, yeah. Right, and then you have the generation, though, they want to watch on a on a 6-inch screen. So that that's, that's beyond me. But um, in terms of readiness, I think that... Um, as with all technology and with all media, readiness in large, in large part depends on the maturity of the child. And I think that's something that the parents can determine, but I don't know that they do determine that they, they, they care enough. Uh, for some parents, it's the babysitting effect again. So, um, but I'm not a fan of saying that legislation should be in place. I mean, in, in Colorado, is it, um, you know, how are they going to tell if... A parent buys because, a phone and gives again, it to a child. Yeah, exactly. Are they going to, you know, start policing if they see children holding something that looks like a phone? And I also don't think children are going in and signing two-year contracts. Right. So that's that sounds like a just poorly crafted law. Yeah. And then there are legitimate reasons, especially when it comes to communication, that in this society we can't function. I mean, what are you going to do? Give your child a couple of quarters and say, "Call me on that payphone that no longer exists." So <laughs> exactly. You know. So it's it's tough. I, I think, as in all things, it's another liberal arts education plug. What does it mean to be really engaged with people? Uh, if you're interacting on social media, they're real people behind the screen, so don't start calling them names and getting in fights that you wouldn't do with somebody you know you meet on the street. Well, uh, we need to learn how to navigate this technology because it's out of the box. It's, we're not stuffing it back in, so let's figure out how to use it in a healthy way. I agree wholeheartedly all right and the last question i have is more along the lines of something that's happening in 2018 uh they're looking at uh, july 2018 they're going to try to change the label warnings on food so right now we have 10 different label warnings uh and they're trying to get away from that and just do two and i think it's used by and best if used by uh, they didn't take my suggestions. They didn't open this up to the to everybody to vote on it or to uh, to come up with suggestions. If it was up to me, it would be if it's iridescent, don't eat it. Mm -hmm. And does it smell like feet? Mm -hmm. And right. then don't eat it, obviously. Uh, but the idea is that there's very few things that you really need to put a sell-by date on. Um, and one of them is, uh, uh, which, uh, what do you, uh, the stuff for babies, baby formula. Okay. Right? It's, trying to think of words today uh baby formula the nutrients uh get uh less potent after a certain date mm -hmm. and so thinking about food and the way we deal with food and technology uh is there anything that we're looking or we should be looking forward to with something along those lines used by dates 
RFID, some way of tracking what we have in the fridge. You mentioned earlier, like uh, uh, tracking stuff that's in our fridge. Maybe the fridge could suggest, hey, this is about to go bad. You know, maybe you want to cook up some pasta carbonara tonight because you've right. got all this bacon. So, um, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, back when the king had the taster, the official taster. Mm -hmm. So we combine a little hardware device, a probe that plugs into your phone and you have an AI taster. So basically, you can poke your food or maybe wave it around, and it detects uh, small oh, the molecules. Aroma. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it can tell you if your food is good or bad. I love it. And then maybe it can also tell you if your cooking really stinks and you don't want to serve <laughs> that to your family. Too salty. Right. Yeah, because that could be the health uh, component of it as well, right? Mm -hmm. It could tell you, well, this is probably a little too salty for you. Maybe you can um, stick yourself with it, and it will tell you that you need to get off the sofa, buddy, and you know, and start getting some exercise. That's a, so I really like the AI that is not only telling you what to do, mm -hmm. but uh, telling you know, suggesting it in such a way that is maybe the type of motivation that you need. So some people need someone a little more caustic, right? And maybe rude. maybe it's like your mom, you know, yeah. or, or your dad. It's just somebody yes. that just gets on your case all the time, all the time. Yeah. Shut up, phone. You don't understand me. In fact, what the Colorado legislation should do is not ban the sale of phones to 13-year-olds, but digitize their parents' voices to be their nag and conscience when they carry their phone around out in public. I think that's so a great if the, idea. So if the kids act a little rude or rowdy, the phone pipes up and say, hey, go to your room. Or just embarrasses them yeah, with yeah. something. I love you so much, honey. Why are you doing that? That's exactly right. What's going on? Can yep. you give me a call? Yeah. Call your mama. Yeah, and so just, <laughs> just make it so that the kids cannot turn that off. <laughs> Very nice. Well, uh, Hap, we've got to uh, we've got to wrap things up. Okay. I hate wow, to that say went, it, but yeah, it very quickly. By. Very quickly, uh, is there anything that you want to plug, anything that you're working on? I did see on your site the most recent post. Uh, was very interesting. Choose your own adventure stuff is right. a big part of my life. Um, that's really my gateway into sci-fi and fantasy. So I was just curious. Um, the post that you had was on a website where you could kind of do your own choose your own adventure story. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it, like the idea of how to uh, map that out. So right. is that something you were looking at earlier this year? And and what are you working on in terms of personal stuff? Well, so actually, yes, the, the Choose Your Own Adventure, uh, there's some software online through a company called Inkelrider, and they produce some award-winning games that um, were essentially Choose Your Own Adventures, but award-winning in this modern era, even with all the video um, capabilities that games have. But um, the Inkelrider software is uh, is produced by Inkle Studios, and that's freely available on the web. So Google Inkle Writer, and you'll find a link. So it's very easy to start using that software to create your own choose-your-own-adventures. But I use that software in my dissertation work uh, with some eighth-grade classes where I taught the classes how to create their own games. So rather than uh, write... Okay writing reports yeah they, you know the one one subject was um the middle east so ra rather than writing a report on the middle east the students were creating games around events in the middle east where they had to create characters but then they had to 
to um, fold in actual events of what was happening. And so they had to think a little more critically about the uh, the actual structure of history during that period of time. So, and, and I'm also using that same software in, in a professional capacity in terms of professional development as we do simulations, how to have difficult conversations with right. employees, for example, or how to deal with harassment issues, those types of things. I think it's interesting from a storytelling standpoint, we all think visual and we think video and then we get a little bit intimidated mm -hmm. because of the amount of time it might take right. um, or the, the quality of your equipment and it, mm -hmm. you know, everything's so much easier, but there's so many different ways to tell a story. And I think that's where your instructional design background um, and your instructional technology background kind of comes into it that you know, find the way that fits the person the best. Right. And that's another piece of why the human brain's ability to abstract is very good. So a choose your own adventure can be completely text based and it can run perfectly well on a cell phone, on a on a tablet, doesn't need any sophisticated programming skills, no graphic skills or animation skills, and you can create an engaging story. People learn best through narrative. Very nice. Well, Hap, so we can find you on Twitter at Digital Hap. That's and correct. And your website is hapdisease.wordpress.com. Yep. And you can see more about that website and the, uh, the, the basically the process that you went through with the students. I uh, read that last night. So thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want to uh, plug before we get out of here? No, I just appreciate it. And, uh, you know, and feel free to ask me back. Maybe next year. Maybe sooner. I will. Maybe sooner. Uh, we'll do a year review like in July. The half year review. <laughs> we'll see how far we get. Uh, and then next week, I've got Amanda and Emily are coming back. And then Brendan Byrne is going to be on the week after. So we'll talk about a little bit more about space and maybe how uh, Elon Musk uh, kind of trolled some reporters, I think, over the weekend, which was always a lot of fun. And uh, let's take it out with some Dirty Three. This is Deep Waters on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. To learn more about Hap and the work he's doing, please visit hapaziz.wordpress.com or follow him on Twitter at DigitalHap. Are you on the bleeding edge of technology and innovation? Then you'll want to visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A-CertainDegree.com. There's very little innovation there and an absence of tech insight. But if you could stop by and explain some of what's going on with Bitcoin to Nick, he'd really appreciate it. He's too embarrassed to ask.